you actually can't help a child too much. You can think you are, you can worry, but they'll tell you when they don't need help. Hello, and welcome to the Arts of Language podcast with Andrew Pudua, founder of the Institute for Excellence in Writing, or as many like to say, IEW. My name is Julie Walker, and I'm honored to serve Andrew and IEW as the Chief Marketing Officer. As we take a break from recording, we have chosen to replace several of our greatest hits for you to enjoy. We hope that you are able to gain insight for your educational journey. So, Andrew, this is part three of our series on relevancy. And I don't think I mentioned the last time that this is a portion of your talk, Teaching Boys and Other Children Who'd Rather Be Making Ports All Day. So I be- wanted to be sure and mention it today so we can put a link in the show notes. This is one of your most popular conference talks. Do you think it's because of how long the title is? Oh, I think <laughs> it's just because the title is what it is. It, <laughs> Definitely the most successful title I've ever thought of (laughs) because so many people, you know, especially homeschooling parents and moms in particular, maybe they have a girl or two and then they have a boy and and there's just such a difference there Mm -hmm. and and they don't necessarily understand the the boys are very different than girls and Mm -hmm. girls are different than boys and the world tries to convince us that there aren't any. The, the popular psychology is that boys and girls are exactly the same, and the only thing that's different is just individual differences, and you can't stereotype, and that's not right. That's not fair. Only it's not true that Be- because there are differences. And so I've been fascinated with Dr. Sachs and mm-hmm. his work and the book Why Gender Matters and uh, all the research that he's done to show that, yes, you know, boys and girls – for the most part, they hear differently, they see differently, they handle stress and pain differently, they're motivated differently. And this is more than just environmental training that makes them different. Absolutely. It's ge- it's genetic. It's it's based because boys are boys and girls are girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a, it's a hard one for today's new, younger teacher, homeschool mom mm-hmm. to kind of admit that mentally, especially if they went to a school or maybe in an elementary ed program or a psychology program that's kind of pushing this modern idea that gender doesn't matter. Right. We could yep. go off on that tangent, but we won't. Uh, but in any case, uh, Dr. Sachs's work, I think, has been very, very helpful. I've had so many moms come up to me after the talk go, have you been in my house? Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, how did you know? My kids are just like that. Well, do you know that this talk right here saved my family money? Oh. Well, in simply this, I stopped buying jackets for my boys. <laughs> like, yeah, you live in Southern California. Well, but I was cold, so I would have them put on a jacket. Uh-huh. They would go outside and play, uh-huh. and they would take off their jacket. And lose it or and leave lose it somewhere. Right. Yeah. So now, I, well. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm so grateful to know that <laughs> decades ago, my talk saved you money. Saved me money. That's right. That's right. So as a part of this talk, you talk about the four forms of relevancy. And we talked about the first two 
intrinsic relevancy, something mm-hmm. that you're born with, right. something you just want to do and you don't really know why you want to do it, but you got to put those puzzles together or you've got to play that music or whatever it is that just, you know, rocks your socks and floats your boat, right? Okay. <laughs> the other would be the inspired relevancy. Mm-hmm. And you shared a little bit about how your dad inspired you to learn more about sailing. And now today, we've only got time to devote one more episode to relevancy, but we've got two more. Well, and the last two are are closely related in a way. The third form of relevancy I have chosen to call contrived. Okay. Contrived. So let's face it. There are certain things that are just not interesting to anyone. Mm -hmm. I mean, but they're not intrinsically interesting to anyone. So it's very hard to be inspired. And yet you have to know these things. You you must learn them, mm-hmm. but you're not going to be excited about it. So that's where the good teacher, the good coach comes along and contrives relevancy, i.e., in other words, creates a game. Uh-huh. So create contrived relevancy is essentially creating a game where there's something that's relevant and the side effect of pursuing that is you learn the thing you're supposed to learn. Okay. Probably the best example from my childhood, my father, he 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 must have understood me well or, you know, but it was brilliant. It was brilliant what he did. Grade two, I'm trying to learn the multiplication, or grade three, I guess, trying to learn the multiplication tables, like eight years old or something, right? Okay, who's excited about multiplication tables? It's just, it requires repetition. There's very few memory tricks you can involve yourself in. Some of them are easy, like six times six is 36. And then some of them are real bare, you know, six times seven, 42. Okay, but you have to know these. Mm -hmm. And to, to be comfortable doing math, you need to know them well, right? Yes. The kids who are fuzzy on their math facts are the ones who don't like math because everything takes a long time. Mm -hmm. And even if you give them calculators, it still takes a long time. And I have a whole talk on that called Ability Development Mastery Learning and Individualized Education. And and I talk about that problem of not having mastery. So anyway, my parents, old school, and so you learn your math facts. So they made flashcards on little three-by-five cards and they would drill me in the spare time. I remember very specifically, I would be sitting in the bathtub taking a bath, (laughs) and my father would be there with the math flashcards drilling me on multiplication tables. But why did I want him to do that? Well, he had contrived the ultimate relevancy. So he wasn't sitting there giving you your math facts because he wanted you to learn them. You wanted him to drill you because you wanted to learn. Well, I'm sure he wanted to. Sure. But I was happy to be doing it. Okay. In fact, I was always bugging him, come on, Dad, let's practice multiplication. Okay. (laughs) Because he had bought the ultimate Cub Scout knife. Oh. This was like the precursor of the Swiss Army knife that Uh had all the cool little tools and blades. And it had the Cub Scout logo. Mm -hmm. And I wanted this knife more Mm -hmm. than anything else in the world. And so he bought the knife and then he showed it to me and he said, Andy, when you know all the multiplication tables up to 12 times 12 
and you can answer them without hesitation. This knife is yours. Wow. And he put it in his desk drawer and he said, you can look at it whenever you want. But if you take it out of the drawer until it's yours, you'll never get it. Mm. Well, I don't know. I suppose at that age, you mm. think your parents have supernatural power, <laughs> omniscience, or God talks to them or whatever. <laughs> but I would, you know, a hundred times a day, I would go look at that knife. I want that. I want that. I want mm -hmm. that. So he'd come home from work. Okay, let's do multiplication quick before dinner. Okay, during the bath. Okay, come on. <laughs> hey, in the car. Come on, drill me. And he was so tough. I mean, it had to be like, boom. Mm -hmm. I mean, it couldn't be six times seven, 42. No, it had to be six times 42. I mean, it had to be instant. Mm -hmm. I had to know them so well, there's no hesitation. And finally, I got all the way up 12 times 12. I knew all those math facts. He gave me that knife. Wow. And to me, you know, that is a phenomenal achievement for of of motivation. Sure. Because, you know, that old thing, everything I learned, I learned in kindergarten or sure. whatever. I, I would rephrase it, say everything that I learned in school, I actually learned at home, <laughs> right? Because my mom taught me spelling. Mm -hmm. My dad taught me the math and my mom helped with the math. And they would drill me on, you know, spelling words and math facts and grammar. And they read and I memorized poetry and, you know, those really basic skills. Well, and I'm sure your teachers we're really grateful for your parents being involved. Yeah, I think in I think they certainly were and and it was nice cuz I you know, I always got the good grades in school because my parents but but they had that idea mm -hmm. that that they're going to motivate me to learn the things that are necessary for being successful. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I would have had the same success if they had just left it up to the school because I don't know that the teacher would have had the individual time or right. the methodology, or the motivational power of the world's coolest Cub Scout knife. <laughs> I have talked to people who say, well, that is like bribing a kid, right? When you, mm. when you give them something for something they should learn because they should. Right, okay. But, you know, bribe, bribery, is when you pay something to do something immoral or illegal, right? Honestly. Mm-hmm. Getting a Cub Scout knife when you achieve a major learning accomplishment. Well, there's nothing immoral or illegal about that. Nope. And I'm more highly motivated. So it's acknowledging the effort right. of the child. So right. I don't have a problem with this. And I think very often, you know, boys in particular, we want them to learn something. It is not intrinsically interesting to them. Mm -hmm. You don't know anyone who is excited enough or available to inspire this particular kid. Mm -hmm. So you set up an, a game. And very often a game has an economic system attached. Mm. So in the Teaching Boys Talk, I, I point out that there are a few rules of games that you need to know in order to have success and avoid failure. If, if you don't know these rules, then you will not be as successful in getting this game to work. So the first rule of games is it has to be possible to win. Okay, sure. If it weren't possible to win, no one would play the game, mm -hmm. right? I mean, the whole gambling industry is based on this idea. <laughs> right. It's possible to win, mm -hmm. right? You can go to the casino mm -hmm. and it's possible 
that if you're lucky and you quit while you're ahead, you can walk out with more money than you walked in with. Not likely, but possible. If it weren't possible, well, who would ever go to a casino? Right. Right? So when you contrive a game, you want to be sure that there's that. So I watched my wife attempt a, a game uh, that didn't really work too well because of this error. She had got uh, my very dyslexic nine-year-old son and his six-year-old sister, and they were on the floor, and she had made a stack of cards of the Dolch reading list. Mm-hmm. You know the Dolch list? Mm-hmm. Sure. It's those hundred words that don't make sense. <laughs> right. Like W-O-U-L-D. Mm-hmm. Like, wooled. <laughs> I mean, where did that come from, right? Right. So you can't really sound it out. It's not going to work from a phonics thing. There's hardly any other words. There's one other, I think, that does that. So it's just like random. You have to just do it enough that you do it. So she had this dolch list, right? Mm -hmm. And she set up the game that you'd have uh, each player would get three seconds to say the word. And if if the player could say the word, they would keep the card. And if not, then the other person would get a chance. And whoever got the most cards wins. Okay, she'd been at this about three minutes. The score's four to zero. <laughs> Who's ahead? Well, your your daughter. Yeah, the six year old girl. <laughs> what's what's my son do? He's he's angry. He's frustrated. Yeah. He, well, he just stood up and walked away. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean that's reasonable from his point of view. Well, what's the mom to do? Son, you get back here right now and lose this game. <laughs> right. I mean, he had given up. He had realized there's no possible to win. Therefore, there's no reason to play. Mm-hmm. I can't. And then, of course, her opportunity for learning disappears with that. Mm-hmm. Right. So how, how would you reset that? How would I coach her? Well, you got 100 words. Give, them, give each player as much time as is needed. Cheat if you have to. Like mouth the word. <laughs> you know, yeah, you got it. Wood. OK, here you go. You got 100 words on that list. Whoever gets 40 cards wins. Mm. You can both win. Mm-hmm. There's no rule that says you can't both mm-hmm. win, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the first rule. It's got to be possible to win. The second rule applies if your game has some type of economic system. You must have both a potential gain and a potential loss. Mm-hmm. If you only have one or the other, this game is likely to fall apart very quickly. Mm-hmm. Now, if you set up a game and you say, okay, Um, do this thing, learn this thing that you otherwise aren't interested in learning. And if you succeed, you will gain some benefit, right? If you do this, you get a reward. Swiss arm, you know, the knife, right? Right. Okay. Well, the the problem there is that the child will kind of weigh it, right? And and naturally, you or I would do the same thing and say, Mm -hmm. well, I don't really want to do this. And what I'm being offered isn't really worth it. So no thanks, I don't want your game. Okay. <laughs> then the mom's very tempted mm-hmm. to up the award, up the benefit. Now you've created a game you never want to play called How High Can We Bid Up Mom Until She Gets Angry, right? Right, right. So you, if, if you only have a potential gain, then... It may not work because you end up in this bidding war. Mm-hmm. So you also want to have a potential loss, mm. right? So do this, you win. Don't do it, you suffer a penalty. I'll give you an example of a system. It's not not kind of a monetary system, but it is an economic one in a way. So when I first started teaching violin, 
I was inspired by one of the great teachers I met early mm. on. I don't know if he's still alive, but he was a, a huge inspiration to me, Craig Timmerman. Mm. And I, he had set up a system, I don't know if he created it or got it from somewhere else, called the 100 Days Perfect Practice and Listening Challenge. And the deal was the child, the student, has to listen to their recording at least a little bit and practice their violin at least a little bit every day without missing a single day for 100 days. Mm. And if you do that, if you get 100 days without missing a single day, you get a prize. Mm -hmm. That's the upside. Right. Right. And then I would usually negotiate with mom and say, okay, what what can you offer? Right. You know, if it's a boy and he loves video games, a new Nintendo module or mm -hmm. going to the pro ball game with dad or mm -hmm. a, a tea party or, you know, for a girl, a new doll or special, whatever tickles them. Right. Mm -hmm. Something you would probably want to give them anyway. But now you have something they have to work for this. Right. hundred days. OK, that's the potential gain. Now, the potential loss. Mm -hmm. If you miss a day, you have to start all over again. Oh, wow. Yep. Okay. So now it becomes this very different thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, and there's one more rule. Mm. Mom can't remind you. <gasps> oh. You have to remember on your own. That's harder for the mom than the kid, right? <laughs> and so now it becomes this thing like, okay, I want to play this game. I want to make 100 days without missing a day. I've got to remember. And if I, if I don't do it, if I, if I fail, I have to start all over. That's the penalty. Do you right. see? Mm -hmm. Potential gain, potential mm -hmm. loss. That's very effective. Other kinds of economic systems. I, in, in other talks, have talked about my son and copywork. Yes. Right? So I'll pay you a penny a day for each word you copy correctly. Right? 25 cent bonus if you finish in 20 minutes. The money goes into a special fund called the Airsoft Weaponry Purchase Fund. Right? But if you whine or complain... You get you have to pay a penalty ten cents mm -hmm. every time you whine or complain. You could go negative, right? And I own your bank account, right? So don't complain. <laughs> did he ever complain? No, he never did. Wow, which is funny because it's like the worst thing you could possibly ask him to do. Yes, but he's highly motivated. Yes. by the goal of new airsoft toys. Right? I bet you didn't complain about being drilled on math facts in the bathtub. Either. No, I was begging for it. <laughs> yeah, I was begging for it. So you have that. Potential gain, potential loss. Mm -hmm. So that's how you contrive a successful economic system. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have only a potential gain, you've got that problem of, well, I don't, I don't take your deal, right? Right. If you have only a potential loss, then you've actually descended to the fourth mm. and least effective form of relevancy. Okay. Which is enforced relevancy. Mm. And that's essentially when... Someone says, okay, kid, you have to learn this or you will suffer. Mm -hmm. Well, again, the child will kind of weigh it, say, well, I'm going to suffer if I do it. Mm -hmm. I'm going to suffer if I don't. Mm -hmm. Either way, I'm just going to suffer. <laughs> right. So I might as well just go eat worms and die. die. You know, <laughs> life is just about suffering and I hate it all. You know? No, I'm not talking about discipline because mm -hmm. that's different, right? right? And there are lots of things that as children we yes. we have to do whether we want to or not. Right. And, and there's a consequence for not doing that. That's that's discipline. That's, yep. that's normal. I'm talking about the effect of learning, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So – you know, I think a lot of us kind of operated much of the time in schools 
the reason to learn this isn't for any reason other than to avoid suffering, right? So for me in biology, mm -hmm. right, it was like, well, you have to take biology because if you don't take biology, you can't graduate from high school. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, you have to get a good grade in biology because if you don't, it'll bring down your GPA. And if your GPA is too low, then that'll bring down your whole transcript and you won't get into a good college. If it's too low, you won't even get into college at all. Mm -hmm. And the best you're ever going to do is busboy at Denny's living a life of poverty and misery forever. Right. <laughs> and that's why you study biology. Okay. So, you know, you study biology, you hold it in your brain, you, you learn it, you forget 98% of it, mm -hmm. but that's okay because you avoided the life of poverty and misery. Right. So we sometimes, you know, do this, unfortunately, with kids. Right. And we say, you have to do this or else. But here's what I've noticed. If kids fear not being successful, if they fear failure, they will often prefer punishment to failure. Mm, they would rather flat out refuse to do what you're asking them to do than to try to do it and fail again. Right. And so that's why this enforced relevancy is the worst because it's the least effective in terms of stickiness, mm -hmm. long-term retention, and you run the danger of creating a real hatred of something. Right. And that's why I would refer people to the talk on the four deadly errors, which mm -hmm. I have had many. It's called the four deadly errors of teaching writing. But I've had many people tell me, thank you so much. I learned so much about helping my child, not just in writing, mm -hmm. but in everything. Right. And one of those four deadly errors is withholding help. Mm -hmm. And the thing I point out is you actually can't help a child too much. You can think you are. You can worry. But they'll tell you when they don't need help. Right. Yeah. And once they tell you, you should then stop. Yeah. They'll say, okay, mom, I got it. Leave me alone. Okay, great. <laughs> but but if they're not being successful, they can't learn that thing. Mm -hmm. They can't enjoy learning that thing. Right. And so you've got to do it with them, help mm -hmm. them be successful, figure out what's the impediment, and then avoid penalties for not learning. Right. Because really, what do kids want more than anything? They want to grow up and will make you happy. Yes. They want their parents and teachers to love them, and they want them to be happy. Mm -hmm. And when when they're communicating dissatisfaction or frustration, they're not trying to say, I don't want to learn this. I don't want to make you happy. They're saying, I need, I need more help. Mm -hmm. You mentioned the contrived relevancy and games as being a part of that. Right. So we have a few games that we sell. Yes, and I do. thought it would be interesting for our listeners to hear how these outmatched games came about. We haven't oh. spent too much time talking about no, them. No, and we could. We mm -hmm. we could. Uh, Webster loved games. Yes. Dr. Webster. And he would always create games for everything he wanted his kids to learn. Geography. He loved history, of course. Science stuff. And he would make these games by hand. Mm -hmm. Copy them off. Cover them with laminate. Cut them up by hand. <laughs> And create these card games. And then he'd spend a couple hours Friday afternoon yep. playing games. And the kids would be able to study and learn almost effortlessly. Right. So, yes, I was on the phone talking with Dr. Webster. I don't know if you know this, but oh. he says, I don't know. I don't understand why Andrew hasn't gotten excited about my games. And I said, <laughs> well, Dr. Webster, it's probably because your games 
are about history and geography, and we teach writing. He says, well, I know, but I really think that he would do well to do these (laughs) games. And so we put together now, uh, with his help, of course, this is his game. And so these parents don't have to laminate or anything. No, it's all ready to go. It's all ready to go. Yeah, but they're not teaching, they're not learning writing, but they're learning history facts. We have ain't, we have outmatched ancient history, which of course is the facts that the students are learning on are on eight different periods, eight different areas of the ancient world. And then coming out in January, we are creating outmatched medieval history to talk about eight different areas because there's eight decks of cards, eight decks of cards that right. you're playing with. And so, so it's, not writing, but fun. It's fun. We've had the kids here playing it and uh, and there's a lot of laughs and learning facts that you wouldn't have ever thought you would know or learn or have a reason to. <laughs> right. You know our fix it. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of people tell me that their kids hated the other grammar because it was kind of like a chore, but the fix it is more like a game. Mm-hmm. And so they can, you know, do their best to try to fix it and then compare the fixed up version with theirs and see what they got right yep. and make progress. And so I do find that a lot of what we do at IEW is based on that idea that you can contrive some relevancy mm-hmm. where there might not otherwise be relevancy. And, you know, the checklist, the style yes. checklist, yes. kind of like a game. Yeah. Uh, the history-based writing lessons with the vocab cards. Mm-hmm. And some of the teachers take one of Lori's recommendations, which is to give extra points when you uh, turn in a composition. The more vocab words you've got, the more points you get. And whoever, whichever team gets the most points at the end of the year, blah, right. blah, blah. Right. Exactly. Kids are very motivated by those types of games. Yeah. So to summarize, see if I can get them all right. The four forms of relevancy are intrinsic. That's what you're born with. Mm-hmm. Inspired. That's something that's something on the outside, a person, a circumstance has motivated you to do more study contrived, which is where you have some type of game to make it more exciting, and then enforced, which we should probably try and avoid. We try to avoid. Okay. Yep. You got it. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us for one of our favorite episodes. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Or you can visit us each week at IEW.com slash podcast. New recordings will begin airing in January of 2020. Until then, we hope you'll join us each week as we revisit our greatest hits.